Now, David Jones is my name. And with my wife, Julie, we attend the 10.30 service in usual, normal times. Uh, the reading today is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, the entire chapter. Reading from verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defence, no one came to support me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Hi everyone, I'm Paul, I'm one of the ministry interns here at Wollongong Baptist Church. Today we're finishing our series in 2 Timothy. Uh, we'll read the last words written in the Bible by Apostle Paul as he awaits execution. As always, we need God's enabling to understand and apply this to our lives today, uh, so let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. May the Holy Spirit work within us so we can learn and understand how these final words of Paul apply to our lives 
and help us to remain faithful to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The last words of a dying person are ones we cling to. They hold greater significance, particularly for those closest to them. They may be short. Often they highlight the things a person in that situation considers most important. There may even be words of regret or remorse, but we read none of that in this letter. Here is a letter from a dying father to Apostle, uh, the Apostle Paul to his spiritual son, Timothy. Not only reflecting on his own spiritual triumph, but also offering motivation to every believer to a life of faithful service to Jesus Christ. He's imprisoned in Rome, yet he is full of faith, confident in the Lord, without regret for the past. He's looking on eagerly to that wonderful day when he will be with the Lord. Paul knows his time is short. In verse 6 he says, The time for my departure is near. He hears the footsteps of the Roman soldiers above him. He knows it's only a matter of time before they come for him. So, this last chapter of the last letter of Paul in the Bible is like his will and testament. But, unlike a will where you receive an inheritance possibly immediately, uh, Paul reminds Timothy that his inheritance is in the future. And, like Paul, he'll have to endure much hardship between now and then. But it will be worth it. And it will be worth remaining for, re remaining faithful for. At the time of writing the letter, the world is a hostile place for Christians, often being martyred, either individually or whole families. And Emperor Nero is trying to redirect blame for the fires in Rome onto Christians. It's already been tough for Timothy. His commitment has already been tested by false teachers in Ephesus and challenged in his role as a leader. The temptation that Tim Timothy would have uh, been facing is to give up, to go soft and not keep pushing on toward the finishing line. And I wonder if you might be feeling something of that temptation right now. In this challenging season we find ourselves in, maybe you've entertained the thought, I wonder if this Christianity thing, well, it all feels a bit too hard at the moment. Uh, well, in these final words, Paul is going to give Timothy a firm shove of encouragement to keep going, to remain faithful and to finish well. And I think it will be helpful for us to hear in the midst of our tiredness. Today, we're going to learn about three things it takes to finish well. Three critical things that Paul urges faithful followers of Jesus to practice and remember, especially under pressure. To do so, we need to answer three questions. First, what is Paul charging Timothy and us to do? Two, why are we to do this? And three, how are we to do this? The first question we need to ask is, what? What is Paul telling Timothy and us to do? And the answer is, remain faithful to God's word. Remain faithful to God's word. And we see this in the first five verses of chapter four. The language used in the first two verses create an image of the old man pressing his index finger into Timothy's chest as he levels the charge against him in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Paul draws attention to the unseen realities and reminds Timothy and us in whose presence we are laboring, who the powerful forces observing us and working with us in everything we do and say as Christians. Paul reminds Timothy that he is laboring in the presence of God, the Father, the Creator, 
the one who holds his hands in his hands the life breath of every human being, the one who is sovereign over all human events. Timothy also reminds, reminded that he carries on his ministry in the sight of Christ Jesus, the one who is to be the judge of all men before whom every human heart is exposed. Paul charges Timothy not only in the presence of God and of Christ, but by his appearing and his kingdom. That is, in, the, in light of the fact that Jesus will return. Paul is calling Timothy's attention to the importance of what he has been called to do. He will have to remember all this as pressure increases and things get worse. At that time, he may have been feeling that his ministry was bearing no fruit. People were leaving the church, false teachers were popping up left and right. But Paul was motivating him to stay focused on mission. We too need to remember for whom we labour and the importance of our witnessing, especially in the midst of pressure and setbacks. So what is the charge that Paul gives Timothy? The charge contains five elements. In verse 2, we see this. Preach the word, be prepared, correct, rebuke, and encourage. And do this with great patience and careful instruction. Number one is preach the word. The Greek word is caruso. It is to herald uh, as a public crier, to herald the divine truth. Uh, now, most of us think that this is addressed to preachers only, but it's not. It includes all people of God, for it does not merely mean to preach. The word is really announce, proclaim, set forth, deliver the truth, make it known. Put simply, spread the gospel. A large percentage of the world's population today do not know Christ. And he's coming soon. And he wants to find people who are ready for his return. It may be inconvenient to take a stand for Christ or to tell others about his love but preaching the word of God is the most important responsibility the church and its members have been given. And we're to do it at all times. John Stott wisely said that be prepared in season and out of season is really a biblical appeal against laziness. We are to be prepared for the opportunities that God will bring to us to share the good news in our workplace, in our neighbourhood, school or uni, our local club, and to do it, even when it's inconvenient, challenging or unpopular. Here, Paul reminds Timothy of the most essential element of a Christian witness in a dying world. Preach the word. Both the reason for the charge and its importance are provided in verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, Paul writes, For a time will come, when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Now, this was likely already happening, but Paul tells Timothy, it's not going to get better. Note he uses the word when. For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, meaning that they were putting up with it, but will no longer. Instead, they'll want their ears tickled. If you have your Bibles handy, Please circle now the, the, word, the words itching ears in verse 3. You'll see why a little later. In Greek, it means a longing, a longing for, what is, a longing for what is forbidden. Remember that 
they will be longing for what is forbidden. Uh, it goes on, to suit their own desires. Uh, so they are seeking gratification and pleasure in this life. Verse 4 continues, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. The reason why Timothy was to stay committed to preaching the true word was because people were quick to go searching for any message that makes them feel good and to believe that instead. And don't we see that today too? Christians being drawn in by prosperity gospel teaching and by preachers who portray the Christian life as nothing but joy and victory. The reality of our age is that people want to feel good, not be made good. The world tells us it's all about you. If it feels good, do it. And so, just as Timothy, we have got to stay the course and remain faithful to God's word. In March of 2015, an Air Asia A330 aircraft departed Sydney for Malaysia. Unknowingly, they started headed, heading in the wrong direction. The error was identified by the air traffic control who advised the pilots. Attempts to troubleshoot and rectify the problem resulted in further degradation of the navigation system, as well as the aircraft's flight guidance and flight control systems. The flight eventually diverted and landed safely in Melbourne. The investigation found that when setting up the aircraft's flight management and guidance system on the ground in Sydney, that is, setting up the aircraft uh, systems that tell the aircraft where it is and where it's going, the captain inadvertently entered the wrong longitudinal position of the aircraft. Why is that a problem? Well, basically, it meant that the aircraft believed it was departing from somewhere other than where it actually was. As Christians, we too have a guidance system. We know him as the Holy Spirit. The coordinates we enter daily on our journey must be checked against scripture. To enter the course of our life remains fixed on, uh, to, to make sure our life remains fixed on Jesus, we are to remain faithful to God's word. When the world is hostile to Christian gospel, and when Christians even want to believe a softer or more palatable version of faith, the temptation is that we might compromise the truth and begin to go off course. We enter incorrect coordinates. Sin, ah, it's not serious. Judgment, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Taking up your cross and following Jesus, well, you can take it or leave it. I wonder if you feel that temptation to compromise. But, like Timothy, we've got to remember to stay the course and to remain faithful to God's true word, not compromising the truth. And verse 5 reminds us that this won't always be easy. Verse 5 says, keep your head in all situations. In other words, be sober, watchful, unruffled, and endure hardship. As followers of Christ, we should expect hardship if we're remaining faithful. Paul already told us it's guaranteed for the Christian. Remember what Paul said in Timothy 3, uh, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in, G in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It won't always be easy, but it will be worth it. So the next question we come to and we need to ask is why are we to do this? Or alternatively, what is our ongoing motivation? The answer is found in verses 6 to 8, which is, 
There is a, a reward for faithfulness, a reward for faithfulness. But the reward is not for idleness. We are to have an active faith. Paul describes himself as being poured out as a drink offering, an image taken from the Old Testament sacrificial system, the practice of pouring a drink offering in worship. To pour means to flow continuously. Paul has been continuously pouring himself out in the service of God, pouring his life into the lives of others, many of whom are mentioned in this letter. And this is in order to spread the gospel, to spread the good news. And he has suffered great affliction in the process, imprisonment and beatings, but he remains faithful to God's word. But he realizes now that his time has come. Verse 6, the time of my departure is near. The word translated departure only appears once in the New Testament. It refers to a loosing, uh, as in a loosing of things woven together. Paul's life has been interwoven with others. He refers to 15 people in this letter who were friends or trusted companions and others who unfortunately opposed the message and deserted him at a time of need, such as Alexander and Demas. And now there will be a loosing. But notice, he doesn't say the end is near. What might seem the end uh, to Timothy appears to the apostle as a glorious new era when he will be released from all his present restrictions. In verse 7, Paul reflects on his life and service since salvation. His words are the words of one who has competed, not of one of a spectator. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Fought, finished and kept. These images all convey the effort that Paul put into remaining faithful. He didn't just let go and let God, but he put in blood, sweat and tears. And now he has finished the race. He has made it to the end. He did not veer off course. It is significant that he doesn't claim to have won the race, but he's content to have stayed the course. So what awaits him at the finish line? Verse eight, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. His focus here shifts to the future, and he knows that all his suffering and sacrifice to share the gospel faithfully will be rewarded. He says he will receive the crown of righteousness. Notice that he refers to Jesus as the righteous judge which is in contrast to the judgment he will face in the world at the hands of an unrighteous judge like Nero. But his focus remains on the righteous judge. And this future reward is not only for Paul, but for all who have longed for his appearing. Longed for his appearing. Remember I said earlier uh, to circle itching ears in your Bible in verse 3. Now I want you to circle the word longed in verse 8 and put a line to connect the two. What a contrast it is between those two, uh, longing for what is forbidden, seeking instant gratification and pleasure. These are perishable things, uh, as opposed to those who have longed for his appearing, looking forward to the future reward, that is eternal life with Jesus. Paul says, every faithful servant who has finished their race and lived in the light of his coming, living a life that makes sense in light of eternity, they'll receive this reward too. One commentator writes, 
It is not enough to merely have kind thoughts about the Saviour's return. The crown of righteousness is reserved for those who love it enough to let the truth mould their lives. In other words, it's not enough to hold the truth about his coming. The truth must hold us. As we apply this truth to ourselves, we have to realise that having this perspective of our great heavenly reward is what will keep us going in the race. Even when our faith and when faithfulness is hard, we must never forget our reward is yet to come. So don't expect that this world will reward you for being faithful uh, to Jesus. Uh, keep your eyes on the prize to come. The last question is how are we to do this? How do we finish well? The answer is by trusting in the Lord's faithful presence and power. By trusting in the Lord's faithful presence and power. In verses 9 to 22, there's a sense of urgency. Do your best to come to me quickly, verse 9, and do your best to get here before winter, verse 21. Why? Because Paul plans on leaving nothing in reserve. Get Mark, bring him with you. Why? Because he's useful in my ministry. Don't miss that. Paul remains optimistic and focused right to the end. He's also lonely. Yeah, that's right. Life can get lonely for, for a Christian. He says, only Luke is with me. Why does he say only Luke? Because Demas deserted him. He loved the world. He went off course. This would have saddened Paul. He knows there's a better, non-perishable reward waiting for us. Demas may have grown tired of the poverty, persecution and hardship he had to endure as one of Paul's companions. In verse 16, we see another contrast, this time between God and man. Paul writes, At my first offence, no one came to my, my support, but everyone deserted me. This was a very dangerous time in Rome. Emperor Nero was noted for his vindictiveness. If anybody even appeared to be against him, Nero's assassins were all throughout the city, ready to take that person's life. Evidently, no Christian was ready to risk their life by standing up for Paul. So he had to face this preliminary hearing all alone. But notice Paul's lack of vindictiveness. May it not be held against them, he said. Most of us in Paul's shoes at that point would probably at least have thoughts about throwing in the towel. So much pressure and facing a hostile audience with a realisation that I'm all alone. But wait. In verse 17 he says, The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. God never abandoned him. And not only did he not abandon him, he strengthened him. Paul knew the reality of Matthew 28, 20. Jesus saying to every single believer, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The presence of Jesus with him and beside him, Paul says, accomplished two things. First, it gave him strength to proclaim the gospel. Paul is modeling what he told Timothy to do in this very letter, preach the word in season and out of season and faithfully set forth the truth. Second, Paul says, I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The lion here possibly refers to, a, to Satan, the Maleficent schemer. Beside, behind the, the false charges that were laid against Paul, the one who had weakened the courage of the Christians so they dared not to stand up against the apostle at his first defence. 
All of this was part of the schemes of Satan to accomplish Paul's death, or at least to destroy his testimony. But Paul was delivered from the lion's mouth. He expressed feelings that he's safe in the Lord's hands. And even now, as he is about to face his executioner, he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. His last words in verse 22 may easily be glossed over if we move too quickly. Now, Paul always mentions grace when ending a letter, but here he adds something else. And we only see this in a few of his other letters, but they are the most important words to all of us. The Lord be with your spirit. Why such an ending? I believe it's because it's foundational. If we are to be faithful to the end, then there must be a union between our spirit and the Lord's spirit. This is in order to make us new persons in Christ. We need to encourage, strengthen and feed that union. And the only way that that's made possible is by the grace of God. Grace. No wonder they say it's amazing. So Paul concludes, grace be with you all. Paul is saying to Timothy and to us in these pressure filled times when we, like Timothy, are called to keep the faith and to stand for the truth amidst the pressures of life, that this is only possible by the grace of God. So be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Prayerfully rely on him to give you strength during tough times and the disappointment as well, uh, so that you will remain faithful and receive the crown of righteousness. We have seen today in 2 Timothy that the Christian life is lived as a competitor, not a spectator. There will be hardship. It will require sacrifice and we will have to endure to get to the finish, but it will be worth it. So as we finish, it's worth asking yourself these three questions. One, where am I tempted to compromise on the truth of God's word? Two, am I longing for Jesus to return? And three, does your pilgrimage track towards a finish like Paul or like Demas? Christ is coming soon and he wants all his faithful believers ready for him. Living life faithful to his word. We serve a righteous judge. Though unseen, he's ever present and he will strengthen us if we keep our eyes on him and remain faithful to his word. Let's pray. Lord God, Thank you for preserving your word, which you have entrusted to us to share with others. Please help us, like Paul, to be ready and willing to preach in and out of season and remain faithful to it, to pour our lives into the lives of others, leaving nothing in reserve. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.